Welcome to the second episode of the Entrepreneur's Digression. Today we've got Vanna Arts. He is CEO of Vanna Media as well as Satisfying, a Netherlands-based company that he has started from the ground up in the last five years. Is that right, Vanna? Um, yeah, sort of. Officially right now it's like six, six and a half years in meanwhile. But yeah, a normally registered company since the last three years. Three years. That's pretty cool. Yes. So... Yeah. You've got two companies at the moment. You've got Vanna Media and you've got Satisfying. So is there a yes. difference between them or are they the same thing? Um, Vanna Media more focuses on me delivering services and me being the face of uh, the whole company and actually yeah, providing people with services and being some sort of a trustworthy person for other people. And then Satisfying is really all the content that I purchase and all the content licensing that we do. Uh, not only for compilation channels, but also for some of the biggest stars in the world. Okay. So I think there's a lot to unpack there. So I think we'll start with a few of the smaller things. You, you, Sure. If anyone was to know you, they'd know that you like YouTube and that a lot of the stuff yes. that you've done since I've known you, since it's been 2016, so over the last four years, has been to do with YouTube. Can, yeah. can you give a rundown of what that's looked like for you from when you first started, from when you had your own channels that maybe had your face on them to running channels that weren't related to you directly, but were still making your profit? I mean, they're, they're, they're called cash cow channels in this sense. Yes. Uh, that's, that's a really interesting. A lot of people ask me about how I actually started. So I started making my first YouTube video was when I was six or seven years old. It was actually a RuneScape video. And back then, I didn't know about the screen recording or anything like that. So what I used to do is just, I stacked up books. So it came high enough to actually record on the Mac that my parents had. And then I had my squeaker English voice that was completely had no accent and it was just horrible. But back then, it was like 2007. So it even got views because it was to do about RuneScape and how to make money in that video game. There was no monetization. There was no nothing. And I was really happy because I was getting like 100 to 1,000 views per video I was making because RuneScape was really popular back then. Um, and from that moment on, I just made videos once in a while. And then in 2013, I had my operation to my belly. And that's actually the point that YouTube turned around for me. Um, I started making my own channels. <coughs> Excuse me. I started making my own channels. And yeah, I, I did Minecraft that's got blown up and then it went into Pokemon Go. And then I had about 35,000 subscribers around that level. And then eventually I stopped that because I just got, sounds really weird with 35,000 subscribers, but the Netherlands is a really small country and I actually had people showing up to my doorstep. So that was quite weird. And for that reason, I eventually stopped as well with making videos myself because it was bothering me too much in my private life to the point where it was no longer fun anymore. So you went from making Minecraft videos and Pokemon Go videos to running quite a few pretty large compilation channels. I mean, across a network of your channels, I mean, you've su surpassed well over a million subscribers. And yes. and that's maybe not from the channels that you're operating now, but I mean, with channels that you work with, that figure goes up to, you know, 10 times that. So yes. instead of being a YouTuber, you work with these creators. So can you give a bit of a background how does that look like in your sense a lot of people kind of want to do this thing now a lot of people are you know getting into the whole social media they want to be working the agency the talent lifestyle with working with influencers how has that looked for you like what how did it start like did it 
was it a, a small channel that then grew into multiple large channels as it expanded or did it start big? Like, did you go immediately to a 1 million person channel and say, I want to work with you? Um, sort of working with really large content creators that only started like six, seven months ago. I came up to, to the idea that a few people were uh, implying my copyright on those big channels. And I was like, okay, I, I don't find it cool, but I do want to get some sort of a benefit out of you uploading my content. And YouTube, the whole situation with fair use and everything is not the easiest one to understand. And if you want your right, you would need to actually sue them. Well, suing someone in the United States easily costs 40 to 50 grand, making it definitely not worth it. So first of all, I contacted um, Jordi, Krabokop, I contacted Aziland, and I contacted Sniperwolf. Sniperwolf refused to work with me, but Jordi and Aziland both work with me. So Jordi, that's Krabokop, so that's, you know, over 10 yeah, million subscribers yes. there. Yeah, Scrubcop is like at currently at 12 and a half, and Ezzy is like at 13 and a half or something along those lines. So those are both big content creators I work with, not on a daily basis, but pretty much on a weekly basis, yes. And, and then there's a lot of other content creators in the Netherlands that I work with from day to day and also from week to week. But like, what exactly are you doing for them? I mean, if, if we take it back a few years, you, you grew your own channel. So you're running these compilation channels yes. that you've got and they're, they've been running now consistently for many years. But what was kind of the moment that was like, YouTube is a viable option. YouTube can become a career. Like what, besides, you know, having an operation on your belly and giving you more time, I'm assuming that gave you more time to look at YouTube. What kind of opened up? those floodgates in a sense what what exposed you to this to this scene because it seems really crazy from the outside like oh this guy he runs all these channels and now he works with these big people but we still don't know like what's he doing for them what, what, what are you providing to them is it is it an analytical service is it a content creation service you mentioned that you've got these licenses so they're, they're licenses of different content can you explain that a bit yes Yes, uh, I, I provide them with licensing, and if they need certain videos and they don't know the original owners, and it mostly has to do with either TikTok, Kausha, or with uh, Duyen, I'll pretty much go up to the content creators. I offer them a contract to either buy their content or license it for one specific person, and then I sign the contracts for them so that they are protected against any copyright strikes and they can safely upload their content onto YouTube. And then you, and then you, pass, so these, large, you pass these channels, these videos over to these channels, and, and then they use them. Yes, exactly. That's pretty much what I do. That's and wondering what you said from when it actually started opening up the gates um, to make proper money. That was in 2015, and you probably noticed as well. Uh, in 2015, you had a method called on YouTube, and it's called the unlisted method, mm -hmm. where you would start off with buying actually 2,000 or 5,000 views on a video that's not yet public, but it's unlisted. Uh, what you did is once the video had like 1,200 views or 2,000 views, you made the video public. And in the YouTube algorithm, it would automatically place your video first for every single search term you had in your keywords because YouTube thought you were actually getting 2,000 views in the first minute your video was uploaded and therefore making it immediately trending. Mm -hmm. And through that method, I blew up the first channel that's called Game Cinema. It no longer exists. It's now called Dr. Reddit and it's inactive. We don't use it anymore. But we blew the channel up in two and a half weeks to about a thousand euros a day. And then from that point on, we had a high peak of 2,600 euros and then it died out to about 200, 300 a day. 
for the next two, three months, and then it completely died off to literally nothing. But then I did see for the first time, like, okay, YouTube is a viable option. You can make a living through this. So that's pretty much how everything started. And then from that moment on, I got rolled into the licensing stuff, and I got rolled into that in 2018. Actually, on my birthday, the 23rd of July, 2018, the licensing started. And so then you just began, you began to focus purely on that, or were you still running the YouTube channels at the same time? Like, had you just decided, oh, licensing's the way to go, this is what's going to make me money, I should stop the channels, or did you then move over to having multiple options? Um, well, before starting the licensing, I did Dragon Ball. <laughs> I uploaded that and streamed that illegally lots of the time. And it was making good money, but then I was taken down due to corporate issues. And I was like, okay, but if people can take me down and monetize my content, there's probably a lot of content that I can monetize as well. And then I went to this guy called Camille. I went to him on holiday in France. And he talked about me uh, as well in a specific niche. And I also started in that niche. And I pretty much got my first deal in 30 minutes. But a lot of people don't see the whole struggle behind it because the money that I invested into the content back then that was actually the money that was supposed to be paid in taxes. Uh, so I used up 18 grand of tax money in the first three, four weeks of building that company. So you were, so you I were taking a complete no step anymore. in the dark there because like you had no idea yes. if it was going to make money. So it could have made you 50 bucks and you would have been $17,950 owed to the tax office. Yes, and then you also get fined for not paying it, so it would be 300% on top of that, so it would be like 54,000 euros I would have to pay in taxes for not paying it. So was it luck? So that was, the... was it just luck that it worked out, or did you think you took a pretty educated guess that it was going to work? No, it was pure luck. Okay. <laughs> that was pure so luck. We, I should, no we shouldn't give you more credit than really is necessary there. Okay. That's... Yes. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> step in the dark i had no fucking clue what's was gonna work it looked i was like okay it looks like this works i know i know this is a viable option i have no idea i'm pretty much done earning fucking no money at all and i was just like okay i'll throw my last money at it and if it works it works and if it doesn't work it doesn't work it could just as well gone to the casino and bet 18 grand on black and lose it or win it so it was you and you would put it at that level it. it was at that level it was a either you would win it or you would lose it and it was a 50 50 well, I mean, the house yes, always wins, so, exactly. you know, 49-51. That, yeah. That's a big, that's a big deal. Okay. Yeah. So it, <laughs> so, it worked out, though, so that's good. Um, yeah, it is. And would you, I'm a, I, I'm a, would you rest yeah. your success now based on that success? Because that was successful, you've now been successful now? No, definitely not. No. It definitely has to do with the education I've got after stopping school and trying to learn as much from either books, listening to people. As an example, you have given me advice for around 20, 20 times or so on pretty high-value topics. And it's not only you, it's also uh, my parents. They're also really engaged into what I do. So it's also most thanks to, I'm really honest in that, it's thanks to you, Camille, my parents, and then also my grandfather who passed away uh, earlier this year, and then also to my uncle who passed away last year. Those were all two really good entrepreneurs and business people, and they really taught me the ropes of being smart with my money and saving it up 
And yeah, that's what I did for a good solid two years before spending all my money on stupid cars. <laughs> we'll get to that. We we haven't I haven't let you haven't let you go on that. So we're definitely gonna get to that topic. Um that's one I'm going to enjoy yeah. a lot. Um, so (laughs) you're saying that it's the way you were educated. So explain how, I mean, so I went to, I went to primary school. I went all through high school. I'm currently in university. Um, I enjoy it. I know a lot of people have a, have a big thing against further education and tertiary, tertiary school. Can you explain like what, how did your, what did your education look like? So you went, you went to elementary school or primary school. You went to high school for a bit. H- how did it? How did it work? Okay, that, that's an interesting topic as well. Um, so I've never. Really, how's the first school called? Is on, uh, how's it called? Elementary. Like when you go to primary school, elementary, kindergarten, yeah. whatever. You yeah. Yeah. So elementary school, I did that pretty much with ease. Um, never had an issue. The only thing is that in the second grade, I wasn't capable of talking yet. So for that reason, I needed to do the year again. And then when I was like five or six years old, I managed to talk. I was a really late talker, but I was a really fast walker. Um, Yeah. And then from middle school, um, that's where my operation went wrong. And I've gone to middle school from the four years that it works in Europe. I've gone to school for about one and a half year. So I missed out on, yeah, another good solid two and a half years. So I never really got into the school stuff and teach and learning about certain objects that I just didn't care about. I didn't care about every piece they taught at biology. The only thing that I cared about was being better with numbers. So math and calculating were my two highest ones, both with uh, calculating was a 10 at all times. And then math was about an eight or nine solid. So uh, how, how old that, were you when then, you finished school then? Um, when I finished the middle school, I was just 17 years old. I, I was 16, but then in the holiday, I turned 17. And that's when you dropped out? Like, that was the end of it? No, I, I had three days in high school, and then I dropped out. Okay. So yep. that, that's that, that's pretty funny as well. So I went to high school, and I met, met I meted everyone at the last moment because I didn't know which school to go to because I wasn't accepted into other schools due to being so much absent and not being in school. Uh, so I went to the school and they said, okay, we'll teach you something today. And they went on with a lesson and it was about recreation in Breda, the city where I live. Um, they pretty much just like structured this way that you needed to wait three weeks in order to finish the whole task. And I was like, but that's bullshit. If I'm done now, I can go outside and I can take pictures of the buildings they want us to take pictures of in order to learn about recreation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, but I want to do it now. I don't want to sit around three hours for the next three weeks and do nothing. And then she just said, well, that's your problem, not mine. And I was like, well, if I'm not going to learn anything, I'll just go home. And me being, <laughs> so I have no idea what's the right word for this. Brutal, maybe? Like, I wasn't nice. I was like, okay, if you're not going to teach me anything, I'll just go home. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't care about talking to anyone. I just took my bike and I went home. I got called by the director and he said that this is not uh, the way to go about things and that I should have gone to him. And I said, I'll go to you tomorrow. We'll have our conversation. And I was like, if this is going to happen again, I'll bring my dad again uh, along with me. And we went to him and we talked about that. I actually want to drop out and that I don't feel like school is a thing for me. Mm-hmm. And then that same, oh no, the evening after that, 
the um, how how you say that someone from the school directory they came to me and they said like hey listen staff admin admin yeah yeah Yeah. if if you don't go to school you you can either go to like a really weird school or you can even go to prison if you refuse to go to school when you're underage and my dad and i would be like okay but in prison netherlands prison is a luxury like people from outside countries go to the netherlands and commit crimes so they can be in prison because the life here in prison is ridiculously good. You can literally order hookers, you can order pizza, you have internet, you have a playground. Life's good in prison in the Netherlands. Um, also what you can see from documentaries, and we have one of the lowest prison rates in the whole world. Uh, actually so much that we needed to close a lot of prisons because we don't have a lot of crimes committed. So we were like, okay, but if he has internet, he can work, he can make money, he can read books, he can order pizza. Uh, you can't order hookers because I wasn't 18 <laughs> at the time. And we're like, okay, then that's an option. And then they're like, the admin of the school is like, yeah, that's not going to work. So if you work for a company and you make a certain amount of money, I thought it was like 2100 a month or so that you needed to make in order to be eligible to drop out as long as you worked a minimum of 25 hours a So week. to show that you can financially support yourself should you choose yes. to leave school. Okay, so that's a exactly. I can un- I can kind of understand why that requirement's in place. I mean, it ensures that kids aren't going to end up on the streets or going to end up just dealing drugs. Yeah, you know, they've got a position that secures them with some form of financial security. So I, I can kind of understand where they were getting at with that. Did you did you yeah, agree I, with it? Like at the time, did it yeah, seem did. reasonable? Yes, I did. I completely agree with it because I think if somebody is going to just drop out and do completely nothing or work at the supermarket, you cannot provide yourself a good life with a base salary of a supermarket. Mm-hmm. Even when you're 21 years old, the base salary in analysis is like 1400 a month. But if you want to have a cheap rent, you, you need to spend about 800 on rent, meaning you keep 400 bucks for the whole month. That's not including water, gas, food. Um, transportation is nothing. So you can't provide yourself with that. So I do agree with the set requirement back then of like 2,500 a month uh, of being capable of dropping out before the age of 18. And you need to be a minimum age of 60. So you so you dropped thing. out of school. Under 16, you cannot drop out. You dropped out of school and then you went straight into work. Like, did you, were you already making uh, money then that you could prove it? Like yes. there was enough to, you were able to show them that requirement immediately. Yes, uh, they were like, okay, so how much are you making? And I just literally opened up my bank and I showed the uh, network I used to work with. I showed the payments and my last year earnings. And I, I'm pretty open about talking about earnings for sure back then. So my earnings when I was 17 was about 54000 for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, that's more than solid enough. So you can just stop it right now and you can drop out. And then that's exactly what I did. And no, I did not directly go <laughs> go to work and tried to scale it up. The first thing I did was play League of Legends all day, every day. So I think you've told <laughs> me a bit too. about this. So this was a bit of a phase where you just played games. Like instead of yeah. working, like you left school, the thing they were trying to avoid have happened, happened immediately. And you fell into this yeah. cycle of just gaming. Yeah. But, but the thing is, I never forgot about YouTube. So I still was doing the Dragon Ball, but I was only on Saturdays to Sunday to do the live streams. And then I also still had the Minecraft channel, what was then eventually going back up to about 100 bucks a day. So I was making a good amount of money while I only needed to work about two or three days a week at max. And I did that for about seven to eight months until they got the whole system uh, complete, so I couldn't make any money off the Dragon Ball stuff. Uh, 
and I couldn't make any money of the Minecraft stuff either because I didn't have the rights uh, to it. And that's when I figured out I'm going to buy the rights myself and going to sign everyone under myself. And that's how that started. And that's before I started the licensing company, I did the Minecraft rights without really knowing what it was, but I just wanted to protect my own channel and have everything secured. Um, so yeah, the first seven months I did absolutely dark shit and I played League of Legends for good sauce 12 to 18 hours a day. That's insane. Yeah. I can't even comprehend yeah. <laughs> playing a game for that long. But So what motivated you? Like, what got you out of that rut? Like, you were in a rut then, and then you had to, you know, find a way out of it to motivate yourself back into work. Was there something in particular that got your attention? That Well, there was this guy on YouTube, and eventually it appears to be a scammer, but it was Kreia Tyler. You probably heard his name before. Yeah, I think so, yep. Great Tyler is the one who made like the Epic Miami videos and who works with like Nike and stuff as well. And mm-hmm. he makes amazing videos. Like I've got to give him credits. He makes one of the best visual videos that I see on YouTube, in my, at least in my opinion. I know Cody is one that does it as well, really good level. But Great Tyler was my motivation. It was all about the Lamborghinis, the, the beautiful cars, the beautiful girls. And the whole thing was just like, okay, this is a fucking dream and this is what I want to achieve. And so you were really on, like motivated by the that stereotypical American lifestyle, that millionaire's yes. dream. Okay. Yep. Yes, I, literally the millionaire's dream. I want to sleep in villas. I want to have all these girls with me, and I, I just wanted to get the lampers and get the stuff. And then eventually, I got to the point where the company and everything was growing, and I started living up a little bit to that hype because eventually I. Bought myself my first car. My first car was a Range Rover, and then my second car, that was an Audi R8, and that's when that sort of living as a dream came true. Like everything went, no disagree, no uh, how you say that hate to any of the girls, but at one point to have people come over or people wondering about your car was kind of really easy. Everyone just talks to you because you have this image around you and. In the beginning, I loved it. Like, I was getting so much attention. I'd probably be getting 10 DMs a day talking about my car or about my lifestyle and stuff. And everyone was just like, okay, wow, this guy's really making it. And even influencers on a high level were like, okay, this guy's up to some real shit. I want to know what he does. And then I got invited to the parties and to the things. We went to Amsterdam. We went to Eindhoven. We went to these big parties and blew a lot of money. All because of your car. Pretty so much you, you're, you're putting this all down on the fact that you drove a nice car. Yes, pretty much, we won't, yes. We won't get into That's the real really... shit box that it was, but the car that you were driving <laughs> is the reason this all happened. So you wouldn't pin it on success. You wouldn't pin it on anything else. You could have rented that car and you think the same thing would have happened. Yes, definitely. Okay. Because people are obsessed with an Imago. So... I already did YouTube and YouTubers knew it, but whenever I got that car and people were reposting about me, I had people from Sex on the Beach, from um, Netflix programs, uh, to even, uh, how's it called? Uh, I have the name Gordon Ramsay in my head, but it's not him, but it's like a gay guy in the Netherlands who is also a famous uh, singer. I even got him to follow me. And I got a few, not, not a lot of followers. I got like three, 400 followers in a single day. But like, out of the three, four hundred, I think about fifty or seventy-five people were influencers, and not on a small level, but on a big level, because everyone saw that I was working with all these influencers, and all the influencers were with me while I was picking up the car, and the media just 
blew up a little bit about it. And so that's when you got Quebblecop yeah, to come along, and Quebblecop joined you, and there was a bit of a vlog. One of his vlogs had you in it as you were going to collect yeah. a car, and okay. So you, yeah, and then you really, you know, got the right people there to make sure that the moment was well documented. Yes, exactly, and it was so well documented that some some crazy parts even happened that we were racing against the police. And I speeded 70 kilometers and they didn't even arrest me. They were just laughing with me. Was that because and this was, was that I, something I set up? Yeah, I've, I've seen No, so, it wasn't set up. So I, I include all the socials to people that I interview. So I'll include your socials in the description for this so people can go and sure. watch that video. Because it, it does happen and it, it shocks me that... Was it because you were an influencer or was it because Quebblecop was there? Was there a reason that was allowed to slide? Um, not really. So I saw the police car driving and I was just driving. Uh, I was speeding 40 kilometers. So I knew that I wasn't losing my drive license. And I was like, at this point, I didn't care about the fine. I just wanted to make one amazing video, a video that I would never forget. And then eventually they, uh, stopped at the tanks uh, at the gas station. And they were like, well, you're, you're, you're speeding a little bit, but like, that's a really good, really cool car. And I was like, yeah, I picked it up today and it's really fun. I was trying to test out a little bit of speed and how much we can accelerate and stuff. And he was like, uh, well, I can test it for you if you want to. And I was like, no, if I can drive the police car. And he was like, no, nah, we're not going to do that one. So I said, but I'm, I'm fine. If you don't take my driver license, I'm willing to just go full on. And he's like, okay, sure. And then he gives me a signal whenever I was allowed to drive. And then I speeded the car up from zero kilometers per hour to about 170, 180 kilometers an hour. So speeding 80 kilometers, 70, 80 kilometers over limit. So I think and it's really great that they, we don't have that guy's name because um, we won't out him right here, right now. Um, but, <laughs> okay, so moving on from your illegal activities on the road, you, <laughs> this car then ended up having pretty major issues. Yes, Yes, pretty major issues. Okay. So the gearbox, I had a gearbox uh, malfunction pretty much after three weeks of owning the car because I was racing with it quite a lot. And So you blew the gearbox with an auto me... or with a manual car? Uh, auto and manual. Okay. Oh, so it had the, so the, the clutch, gearbox. it had the, the paddle. Did it have it's a paddle shift, yep. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, I blew pretty much up the gearbox <laughs> and that joke costed me about 4,000 euros, um, after three weeks of owning the car. And then after that, and you, trade, I you traded in your old car for this car, didn't you? Um, not really. I sold this car back to the dealership. Okay. Uh, and then I bought the Tesla from the Tesla dealer, uh, because of all wait, the, wait, the Tesla. Now we're at the Tesla. Well, let's go back, a, go back quickly. Oh, okay. You, you yeah. traded the Range Rover in for the, or you sold it, the Range Rover to then buy the R8, and then you sold the R8 yes. to then buy the Tesla. Yes, exactly. Because the Tes- because the R8 was just a shitbox in the end. Yes. Okay. It was a pretty a face. shitty car. It, it, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. It, it's a useless car besides speeding, which you can't really do in the Netherlands, but you so can, you need to drive up to Germany. You can speed now with the Tesla. So what's that like? What's it like owning a piece of Elon Musk? Uh, it feels great. Like I love the technology in the car. It's absolutely insane what a car can do. It's I the do Model have to Three, say right? That's, yes, the Model Three. Um, I do have to say, there's some points that I do definitely dislike. It's like the autopilot. Whenever you're in fifty zones, if you have a runabout or you got some corners to take, it doesn't take everything on autopilot. It does not. 
So that's still not good enough to take it. But on the highway while doing a road trip, like it's the most lovely thing ever. You need to do 200 kilometers in one row without really having any corners. You put the thing on, you can literally be on your phone watching movies and watching stuff and the car would drive itself perfectly fine. And if there's someone coming your way, it would go slower. Uh, if it needs to speed up, it speeds up. It even speeds up above the limit if it's uh, if it's needed. So it's amazing. What's it like taking your hands off? Like that first time you turned it on, were you like hesitant? Did you like have your hands yes. near the steering wheel being like, oh my God, are we going to crash? Uh, yes. I, 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 I'm pretty experimental in those kind of things. So I was like, okay, can it take a roundabout? And it actually just went straight over the roundabout. Oh, shit. So, <laughs> so it didn't, didn't determine that the roundabout was there and it just went straight over. It, it, it's not too much speed from the 50 from the fifty way to go to the 30 for the roundabout. So it couldn't handle the turnarounds and I needed to interfere with it. So it did not take that to corner. So yeah. Treating the car well, I can see. <laughs> no, I'm just literally testing it. <laughs> so you've, you've just recently come back from a pretty big road trip. Where was it that you were going? Yes. Um, where we were going or like, where did you go on that trip? Cause I mean, for, okay. for a lot of people, I mean, they're going to look at the date and say, okay, it's September or it's, no, wait, no, it's yeah. August. Sorry. We're in August. And they're going to, okay. So coronavirus is all over the place and here you are yes. on a road trip. So where, where, where did you go? Okay. So I do have to say one thing for all the Australian viewers and America viewers is that here in the Netherlands and in Europe, it works a little bit different. Every single country for us has a color. And as long as it's yellow, you're allowed to go in and out freely without going into quarantine. Okay. Um, so that's a really good thing to remember because uh, with the Disney stuff, uh, we received a lot of hate for not wearing our mask 24-7. I do have to say one thing. Wearing a mask at 32 degrees outside and inside is a pain in the ass. Um, and also from the WHO and the RVM, that's the Dutch regulation, uh, the non-medical uh, mouth mouthpieces, to call it that way, they don't work. They don't help prevent spreading the virus. So we both didn't really care about it, but we got about 300 to 500 hate reactions so, uh, for not wearing a mask on our picture. So we need some clarification on that. You went on a holiday. You've just come back from yeah. this trip. You went to Disneyland in Paris. Yes. And giving context to the listeners, you took a selfie with your girlfriend, who is an influencer yes. on Instagram. You took a yes. selfie there. You claim that the rest of the time you were there, you had a mask on. You took the mask off for the photo. Um, yes. Correct me when I get if I'm wrong at any point here. And you then took us. You took a photo. Your girlfriend set it up in the right in, in the Instagram influencer way. You took a nice yeah. looking photo with Disneyland behind you. Your girlfriend yes. published it on her Instagram. You put it on your Instagram. You both tagged Disneyland. And in the time span <laughs> of a couple of hours. I watched yes. you receive the most hate I've probably seen any small-time influencer ever receive. It was yes. mind-blowing. Yeah, it, it, it was really impressive So what was it see. like being on the receiving end of that? To be the person having so much hate, so much hate be delivered to you? Um, if I'm going to be totally honest, I kind of was enjoying the fact that People were so sad to comment such things without knowing the context about it and not looking around it and just purely being like, okay, they restrict not having uh, mouthpieces. Also for the pictures, you need to have them on. But if you look at the picture, there's no one, literally no one in 10 to 20 meters around us. 
So even if I would like, nobody, nobody would feel it or anything. Nobody would even see it at that point. So I was like, it should be fine taking a picture. And if people are going to hate for that and wish me and my girlfriend that we need to get the coronavirus and that we need to die and stuff, then I think you're kind of a sad human being if you wish someone else to die. Like, okay, is it, did we need to wear it? Yes, we need to. But then, do you really want a picture at Disneyland with wearing a mask while there's nobody around you? So I think a lot of That's the people, me, from what I could tell, were viewing it as being simply insensitive. I mean, I'm sure there, there were people that had rather harsh views at how you should be treated. But I think a lot of people were viewing yeah. it as being that, you know, they they saw it as being insensitive to people that were currently suffering or people that have suffered from corona. And one of the things I saw, and I think people had a big deal, was the fact that you're an influencer or that you were betraying your your account isn't necessarily at influencer level yet, but your girlfriend's is. So do you think people had yes. an issue with it because you're setting like a precedent? Like by you taking that photo without your mask on, it's telling other people, you know, it's telling 12,000 other people or 13,000 other people that it's okay to take a photo without a mask yeah. on or it's okay to walk around Disneyland without a mask on. Do you think that's what people had an issue with or do you think they simply had an issue with the fact that you had a photo without a mask? I think it has to do with her being an influencer and having some sort of a uh, role model Mm -hmm. that she needs to have a certain way of posting her pictures um, that follows everything and every rule. Um, Yeah, I think they have the most issue with that. But then when she deleted all the comments, every piece of hate went to me. And I was like, I just simply don't care. And I have a few friends that were just commenting back on everyone because they were like, okay, this is just pure bullshit. Um, so would you do it yeah. again? Do you think it was maybe the wrong move to make at a time like that? That maybe if – would you think about it now? Like if you went to take a photo, would you think about the social context behind it prior to posting it? Or do you still have the mentality of just not caring? Well, I kind of always have the mentality of not really caring about it. But then I do have to say that the big difference is that I also have a few friends. I actually had a girlfriend of mine – who was in Disneyland at the same day that we were. And she also posted a picture, but her account is private. So there's nobody hating on her. And she has six or 7,000 followers as well, getting about 1,000, 2,000 likes per picture. But because her account is private, she receives zero hate, nothing, no posts, no Well, because those no people media. are part of her inner circle. I mean, those people she knows or people have known her for a while, so they're fans in that sense. The people that were commenting yeah, on your post weren't fans. No, they were haters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think they were the furthest thing away from a fan. So this got covered in national media. I mean, yes, this I saw press for this that was shared, and that just blew my mind. I mean, you, you think about influencer culture, creator culture. You have 800 followers on your Instagram, and there is no relation with your Instagram to other platforms that you work on. I mean, you might be working with people with millions and millions and millions of subscribers, but for the people that follow you on Instagram, you've got 800 followers. That's who you are. But yet you still manage to have a single post on Instagram receive national coverage, which could be because of your girlfriend. But does it shock you at how powerful social media is that you make one post, you, and then receive all of this hate, but then also manage to receive press from it, even though you've got 800 followers? 
Um, well, the press, I, I haven't seen press that was written but about it wasn't me. For you. It was for, your, it was for your girlfriend, but I mean, you were included yes. in this press. I mean, you're in the photo. It's oh, part yes. of you. I mean, your girlfriend, yes, in, in the sense of your girlfriend, I, I think maybe I should correct what I was saying there. She does have a significantly higher number of followers than you. Yes, but, definitely. Uh, so what was her reaction? Like, how did she react to it? Well, at first we were just laughing off a little bit of the comments and stuff. But then I'm a person, like, one, I really, really love my girlfriend. So I'm looking at her like, okay, how is she feeling? And I, I know in a way that we have our relationship that if she's happy and feels good, she's always cuddly. See, she wants to cuddle with me. She always calls me sweet names. But whenever she is not comfortable, she sort of blocks things off. And then I see, like, okay... And then pretty much at about three, four hours later, after getting really heavy comments and heavy DMs, she started getting sad. And I was like, okay, one thing you're going to do, you're just going to block everyone off. Um, like, that's something that has to go, like, you learn about it. You have it one time, and then people start, like, for the first time, it's scary. Like, I had it as well back then when I had a lot of followers. Like, whenever you get hate for the first time, you're really surprised. Everybody just hates you. You feel like it's the end of the world and the end of your career. Well, I just said to her, just block off everyone and just maybe remove Disneyland from the picture and then just leave it at that. But like the engagement that was on the pictures was one of the highest we've ever seen, also for me and also for her. So I think from that point of view, would I do it again? I would maybe do it, but if I do it, I'd, do, I'd make my account private before posting the picture. And leave it for a few days, then opening it up. So, so, so it hit her pretty hard. It. Like the the effect yes. that having so many people reach out in such a negative way did have quite a quite an effect on her. And yes, so, because of that, you then kind of changed your stance because you saw how it was affecting her. Yeah, and I was like, if it's affecting you so much, you should just uh, cut it out, block everyone, delete every comment, and go further with your life. Don't let it bother, and don't let it bother the Delete the that post? We're the... Or not delete the no. post? don't delete the post. Okay. Because why would you delete something if it's a beautiful moment for the two of us? Well, not in But a, I mean, uh, it's a beautiful well, moment for you two personally. I mean, you've got it on your phone. Yes. It exists. I mean, a lot of people, you know, have these vlogs that are shared with mutually between partners or between friends, so it didn't necessarily need... Do you feel it was necessary that it was going out? Like, if it was deleted, does that impact... Your trip? No, definitely not. If it was, it, it, it wouldn't impact me, uh, nonetheless. I, I have no idea if it would impact my girlfriend, but I still think we have to picture for ourselves, and we know this moment has been taken, has been captured, and right now we can both talk about it pretty freely and just have a good laugh about it and be like, okay, this was funny, we got all the hate, we got media. It's kind of impressive how social media works, and it also works in a negative way. And, yeah... Yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> so I, I'm pretty simple in that kind of stuff. I, I don't really care about too much of the stuff. As long as you're not harming anyone. If you're like uh, like some guys doing pranks that are like niching the whole time in public and stuff, like don't do that. Like that, that goes a little step too forward. But if you t- see the amount of pictures of people taking pictures uh, at Disneyland, there's hundreds of them every single day still then I don't think that just because someone is an influencer, she should receive that much hate. Because if you're going to hate, hate everyone and don't hate 
one person because she's an influencer, in my opinion. But yeah, that's just my opinion. But also if I look at like friends of mine and other influencers, and those are like, huge influencers. These are influencers that get 10 to 40,000 likes per picture. They are on a boat partying because you're allowed to party on boats in the Netherlands right now. Uh, just because of the area you can affect is really small. Um, how do I say that? They are partying with 40, 50 people on the boat, being a way higher risk, everyone taking pictures, everyone having cocktails. Like, that's endangering people, and that's something I'm against. For now then, for the whole pandemic and how the news is covering it. I don't think that's something you should do. But then, on the other hand, I also think, like, the rules need to be clearer. They need to be stricter. They they really need to give the points as where they need to be. There needs to be more clarity make... on what's going on. Like Yes, and for sure in the Netherlands because uh, it's just bullshit. I think people can relate to that in Australia as well to a certain extent. I mean, there's been so many dynamic changes, so many rule changes in the last, you know, six months that people are still even now slightly confused about, you know, we had originally press and, you know, content from the government that said that, you know, maybe masks aren't going to be effective. We're not going to have masks, but now we do have masks. And so I think there's whether or not you viewed it that way or whether or not you interpreted it one way or the other, I think there has been a lot of information that has clashed at points as the situation unfolded and as new information came to light and as new uh, discoveries and research was done on corona, people realised you know, what was the right way and what was the wrong way of acting. I mean, we're currently in our second major lockdown. I mean, we've gone a step further than our last one before we tried to reopen in that, you know, we're not allowed to go within, with like, we have to stick to our five kilometer region. We're not allowed to, we're only allowed to have one person out of the house at a time. If you want to go to the supermarket, you have to go alone. You have to wear a mask. No matter where you are outside, you need to be wearing a mask. Doesn't matter if you're walking in a park or if you're walking down the street. I mean, there's different regulations for people with intimate partners. For instance, I can travel to see my girlfriend, but once I get to her house, I have to go from my house to her house. And once I'm there, you know, the same rules apply. I can go within five kilometers. I can go for a walk for one hour. I can do one hour of outdoor activity. And there is an 8 to 5 a.m. curfew. So, I mean, the rules really ramped up like they they went from having our original stage three in previous lockdown which was you know you can go for a walk you can you didn't need to wear a mask but you can go for a walk you can go shopping um you know life wasn't normal but there was still people working from home but this next lockdown really went the next step further i mean we opened up suddenly we had 300 400 500 cases day by day because so quickly, I think our, our government opened things up so quickly, and then that it should have done step by step. I, th- I think it, I th- I personally think that there should have been the original lockdown should have lasted for longer. I mean, I think the six months or the six sorry the six weeks that we were in lockdown for for that stage three, I think should have been extended, even only just a few more weeks, and then the gradual reopening should have been more gradual. I think we really yeah. went from zero to a hundred and then a hundred back down to zero in a blink of an eye. And I think it should have been a more gradual decrease. Yeah. But I mean, hindsight, hindsight is a bitch and going back and looking at it, (laughs) it's makes no difference. Now this is, this is the reality. This is what we're dealing with. And I I think, and I really hope that this lockdown 
has the effect that is being that we're being told it will have and I really hope that that's the case because I'm I'm like everyone else I don't want to be stuck in a cage um yeah. so I, I see stuff like, like you traveling around and I'm like wow you know I wish I wish I could be in Europe or I wish I could be somewhere yeah, else. we can no longer do that anymore literally since last Thursday we can no longer travel to any other country okay so things have started to change like, yes they changed literally everything changed on Thursday because um let's say like I had a food poisoning in Milan during the road trip and I needed, I needed to go to the hospital and it was still yellow meaning when it's yellow the insurance covers everything but now it's orange Italy is orange Belgium is orange Germany is orange so literally going across the border you're at risk you get a car crash you shouldn't have go, gone outside so your, so your insurance your won't cover you for that yes so right now good you're thing you drive a Tesla down in lockdown <laughs> it's a good thing you drive a Tesla I mean yes <laughs> um, and it's a good thing we came back Thursday because we came back Thursday, um, what is it? A little, we came back Thursday, 12 o'clock, and Thursday, 7 o'clock, they uh, set the new regulations for every country back to orange, and you're no longer allowed to go, besides being really important work. But if, but if you do, you need to go 14 days in quarantine. Yep. Yeah, two, and we came back two days. six hours. Two days or that. two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks, okay, yep. 14 days. So, moving on from the Corona lifestyle that we're all living in. You recently, I mean, within the last six months purchased your own apartment. You bought your first, you bought your first property, you renovated it, you did a ton of work to it. And now you live in it as your main, as your primary residence. What was that like? I mean, being 21, not even 21, being 20 at that point and buying your first apartment, you know, it's yours, you own it, you could do whatever you wanted with it. And then what was it like, what was the process of getting to the point where you could afford the house, getting the loan, and then actually having the keys in your hand? Like, what was the, what did that process look like? Was it different for someone who's older compared to your current being 20? Yes, definitely. The banks are bitches. Just just putting it out there. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't fun. So the beginning part, I really wanted to live on my own, get more responsibility, and also I used to sleep in like my own bedroom, but also work there uh, back then in my old relationship, have the girl over in the room, have my parents sleep below me and stuff. It really didn't work anymore. I needed more space for myself to have better work times and also have a healthier lifestyle. So I was like, okay, I definitely need to find something on my own. And I was already saving up money for a good solid year and a half, two years at this time. So I was like, okay, I got enough money to actually go out and buy something. And I was like, okay, but like, do I want to buy it outright? What I could have done if I wanted to, but the loans are so ridiculously cheap that I pay 1% interest. That's nothing. I have a lock-in for 10 years on 1%. So yeah, I'm like, okay, so that's pretty much free money. I pay 30 bucks a month and I can keep a whole lot of more money to myself to invest into content and into other things if I want to. So at one point, we're like, okay, so I wanted to buy first one who was on the seventh floor or so. And I was like, no, if I'm going to buy an apartment, I'm going to do the highest floor. So I called up the um, real estate agent, and they said, yes, we have one that's coming to sale pretty soon. I can list you in. And there's other, there's five other people also interested in the apartment. And I say, call up the guy. Like, I haven't even seen the apartment as this time, but this is just my instinct looking at it online, I knew it was a garbage ass place. It 
was a horrible place. I mean, it was quite, it was it quite was a wreck. It, it was a total wreck. It was a total shithouse, in my opinion. And we'll, we'll get to, to the reason why that's the case as well. But it was like, I know it's a total shipwreck. I'm going to just renovate it all. And he's like, yes, but not everything looks good yet. There's a few things we need to clean. There's a few things we need to adjust. And I was like, I don't care. I want to see it. So uh, everyone else got a call that it was being delayed for two weeks. But me being like abrupt and I was like, okay, I still want to see it. I don't care what you say. I want to see it now. And I was the first person to see it. So we went here and I'm saying, okay, with this view and this balcony and everything, I'm going to renovate this in my own place. And I was like, okay, this is going to be my bedroom. This is going to be my closet room. This is going to be my living room. And it's going to be one dope studio to work in. And this is going to be my, be my main spot in the corner where I'm sitting right now. And I said, okay, listen up. So I called the realtor. I say, make this offer. And if he accepts in 25 hours, he has a deal. And otherwise, I'll uh, wait for it to go over. And it was a little bit above the asking price. It was 500 above the asking price. And I'm like, okay, if you take it, you take it. And about 45 minutes later, I get a call that it was sold to me. So, so just I like that. Really so do you have to go into like that, that with a loan approval already? Like, did you already have a loan application or a pre-approval done of your loan? Or did you then go for the loan after you've offered it? Like after you made the uh, offer, I, did you I, then I get a loan? I go for the loan after I offered it. Okay, so you were able to just put an offer down without having a loan secured? Yes, you, you can do that in the Netherlands at all times, but you need to have the loan fixed within six weeks. Okay. So then you so reason so then you went through that process. And what was that yes, like? Yes, and that process, um, it was one way really smoothly. So our biggest plus point was that we actually had a guy that used to work in the music industry. So he understood what YouTube was and YouTube was like and how revenue was being made. So he put everything into the bank and he said to me that I could loan about, in the beginning it was like 330000 or something I could take a loan for. And that was way more than the apartment was worth. So I was like, okay. That's, uh, that, so that, that was significantly, so that was more than the apartment cost you. Yes. That, that will blow the more. minds of people in Australia to think that, I mean, this yeah. is 330,000 euros. So that's about 500,000 Australian. And yes. You bought it. That was a two-bedroom apartment, isn't it? A three-bedroom, even. You bought a three-bedroom apartment in a pretty much yeah. a main city or one of the one of the main towns, and yeah. for five hundred thousand dollars. No, less than it, that. It didn't less cost than five hundred thousand. No, no, no. It wasn't less than for five hundred thousand either. I could get a loan for five hundred thousand with my income back then. The apartment in Australian dollars is about 300, 320,000. Okay, that's even crazier then. Okay, that takes it to another level. You bought a three bedroom apartment for 300,000 Australian dollars. Yes. Okay, that's, in that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. I have nothing else to say to that other than that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, then it was with the banks and they were like, okay, but on the bank statement, we want to see the cash that you have in place. Yep. And I put it everything on my safe, on my uh, savings account. And they were like, okay, but we don't see money. So my first application was actually denied, uh, even though having more than enough money to pay for it, if to pay for it upright. And they said like, okay, then you need to transfer everything. And then I transferred everything. And then I got a call from the bank asking why I just transferred a whole lot of money. And I was, and then I just asked, well, that's for the, for the loan that I'm trying to get. And they say, oh, listen, we can also offer you a loan. I said, sorry, I already kind of closed on this offer and I otherwise need to pay 1800 euros for it. 
um, so about three grand Australian dollars. So I was like, okay, uh, they were like, okay, makes sense, no worries. I just still wanted to check up if it wasn't fraudulent activity, because of course, large sums of money are being moved out of nowhere from a personal account. Mm -hmm. And then I shared a screenshot with them, and I shared a statement with them, and they were like, okay, that's pretty impressive. Um, and then even somehow, because one thing was incorrect or the one thing they couldn't see, my second application was denied as well. And now we were past the six weeks. So I would have to pay upfront, but I said to them, like, listen, I have more than enough money for it. They're going to accept it. Please just give me another week. Uh, I'll fix it right, right away. Um, so I called all the bank and said, hey, listen, what up? I just need a fix within the next week because uh, I'm a little bit done with this uh, bullshit that's not being accepted. Well, we have more than enough money, you know, as well. It's so like, yeah, it's really weird. It's probably due to your age that they want to see where the money came from. And then I just sent the statement from all the income reports that I got from the last year. And I explained the activity that I did. And then I sent that email. He sent it through and he was like, okay, we're no longer going to wait. So he called up the uh, bank for the loan, asked, hey, listen, what up? Check this out right, right away. And then in, I think it was like 12 minutes or something, I got my uh, loan accepted. That's pretty cool. That's the third time. And so then yeah. with the loan accepted, you can then go through, you get the keys to the property, and then yeah. you decided to renovate it. I mean, yeah. you did, how, how did that work? Like, did you just get a designer in? Did you do it yourself? What was the the process? Um, the process first was like, okay, so we first needed to rip everything apart. So we already smelled, um, how do you say that? I, I don't know the English like word. Like mold? Uh, not mold, but it's like when cheese is over the days. Yeah, mold. How, how you call it? Yeah, mold. mold. Okay. Yeah. Never heard of the word before. Okay. Mold. Yeah. So there was mold everywhere, literally everywhere. So we need to destroy all the, yeah, pretty much everything. And then with a the shovel, we needed to destroy all the mold. And that was a pain in the ass. That was like shoving it for like hours and hours and hours until everything was gone. That was like I eat it like garbage for about a week. Um, and I was ripped after that. Like I eat at McDonald's, Subway, Domino's three times a day for a good solid week. And I was losing weight just because of the workload. From destroying some walls. <laughs> from, from, yeah, exactly. So you rebuilt, um, did, did you change the entire structure of it? No, we didn't destroy any real walls. We just destroyed the floors and everything. Mm -hmm. Remove all the mold. And then from that point on, we're like, okay, we're going to build this up. So first lay, lay down the base layer, then lay down the, the floor again. And then from that point on, decorate everything the way I wanted, paint the walls, do the things. And back then, I was making actually a, a quite large business deal in Japan. So my dad was normally uh, mostly the one working on everything. Uh, was saving me a huge amount of money. I'm really thankful for my dad being capable of doing almost every piece of work that otherwise employees or other kind of people would have done. So he did a lot. And then we have one person who fixes every piece of point that my dad didn't know either how to do it or um, wasn't worth the time uh, versus the money for us to have our time being spent on it. Mm -hmm. So in that way, we lowered the cost from uh, everything from about... Originally, the price to do everything by the company was about 27,000 or so euros. And then we lowered it all the way back down to about 16,000. So wow. we saved 11,000 euros. 
That's impressive. So, so is the idea now, now that you've got the property, that you'll get it re- you'll get it reevaluated now with the with the renovations done to see what its listed price is now? Is that the idea? So now that you've no, renovated it, you, so you're not going to go get it reevaluated. No, because um, the point whenever I get it reevaluated, the amount of taxes I need to pay about the property and about the city taxes, they'll go up. So there's no point in me going up there paying 500 bucks to get it reevaluated and they have to pay more a month. Okay. Well, yep. I know sort of the idea that I want to get into because I love the apartment. It's good. Uh, but there's still things that I want to have and things that I want to do. So I'm actually sort of looking for a house that also has a warehouse in it so that I can also start buying stuff, selling stuff and moving into that sort of thing as well. And then I would love to have a swimming pool. That's just a dream of mine. Is this an apartment you're house. talking about now or is this a house? No, this is a house that I want to have. Okay. So, but having such a house in a relatively nice area would easily cost about 600, 700,000 euros. So about a million Australian dollars. So that's literally where I'm saving up to. And also, this is a thing that I haven't told you yet. Uh, that was literally in the talks about yesterday and we're going into further talks tomorrow. So talking about a warehouse, we're in an, an office. We're probably actually buying one tomorrow. Wow. Okay. So, so you're, you're planning on yeah. getting an office tomorrow? Um, yeah, pretty much. They're in build, so it probably still takes about eight months or so to complete. Mm-hmm. So I first move into one that's uh, a little bit smaller, but it has enough space for us to shoot our own content. That's it, because that's really where I want to move into. I want to shoot more own content, have it higher quality and get more views because I'll make the money back on it anyways. And if I don't make it back on uh, being there myself, I can always rent it out because mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's newly built. So you always make a profit on it pretty much, even in crisis. So I find that really interesting. So I'm like, okay, how much are they listed? And they're listed for exactly a hundred grand. So it's not that much for a good solid office space. It's uh, 58 square meters and it has two floors. It's a decent size. Yeah. In total uh, with extra space is 134 square meters for a hundred grand. So that's more than the whole apartment that I have right now dedicated to making videos. And then I can receive more influences, make content with them, shoot proper high quality videos. And then I hope in that way to scale up the company a little bit more and also do more with TikTok and other, uh, other kinds of uh, influence. So that's what, that's what I'm looking into. I'm calling them up tomorrow because they close on Saturday and Sunday. And then uh, I'll probably sign that one within the next month or so to buy one property there Neat. for the business. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So the, so is that kind of an area you wanting to get into is buying more property and having that investment portfolio built? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, it's the, it's the main goal out of the business right now is to actually get all the money and, uh, give loans to myself and buy properties. And of course, well, this is newly built. It's an office space. It's always worth money. It's not that cheap. It's also not that expensive. So it's an easy place to buy it. So it's like, okay, this is a perfect opportunity to just do it. And the foundation if it's five minutes from my home. So I actually drove there already and the foundation is already on the ground. So it's all safe and doable. So I'll make an appointment with them as soon as possible. And I'll try and get that up uh, and fixed pretty soon as well. That sounds, so, yeah. that sounds pretty awesome. So, I mean, it's kind of the next level yeah. that goes to the next level for you. So as we 
kind of get to the end of the hour that I'm trying to fit this podcast into. Is there anything that you'd want to tell people about the people that are maybe, you know, dealing with coronavirus, not dealing with this kind of time in life very well, or if they're struggling with it, is there any motivational thing or anything you want to tell people that, you know, something that keeps you going day by day, something that keeps you motivated? Is there anything in particular that really stands out for you that could help other people? Um, what could help out other people? Well, I always say, and this is always my main quote, even in the hard weather, even with Corona, is try to be the best version of yourself. So even if you're locked up inside, try and expand your mind because well, you're inside, inside, you probably have negative uh, thoughts. But when you read, you'll get more positive thoughts. And it's also a thing that really helps me is just reading books. It opens up the mind. It makes me more positive. And whenever I'm calm and I read a book and I... I'm like, okay, I feel good. I got this idea. I want to do this. Then I get the motivation to work out. I've worked out yesterday and the day before when it was 36 degrees outside. Like, I just went for a big walk. And I'm, I'm going to do that right after the calls where I'm going to go for a big walk again. Um, just because it makes me feel good. So for everyone feeling depressed or not feeling good is try and see what are the things that I can do right now that would make me feel better. And if you look at those points and you're like, Okay, I like doing this. Of course, some things are restricted. Let's say you're a swimmer and you can't swim anymore. Maybe you can have a pool in your backyard. Maybe you can do some sort of other exercises. Maybe you can do squats. Maybe you can do other sort of things that you like enjoying. Maybe read books about swimming, about techniques. Maybe, let's say you find one secret and you get one second fast on the 100 meters. The book has helped you. And like, even if it doesn't help you, you've spent the time in a positive way so I think that's my biggest advice for everyone. And of course, you're still eating healthy. You need to just eat healthy. And with everything they say, one of the most important things is vitamin D and zinc. So make sure you get enough of those both. So spend so some time in the sun then. <laughs> yeah. Spend, spend time in your garden. Go a little bit sunbathing. Put awesome. on some coconut oil and just enjoy the sun. Read a book. Uh, try and enjoy time as much as possible. You're not working from home. Maybe you can put your laptop on a lap or, or have like a laptop stand and just work in your garden. Like, uh, and, if, and if you're in an apartment, maybe on your balcony, and if you don't have the both of two, then I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Find, find, a, find a park <laughs> maybe, yeah. If you're, yeah if, you're allowed to, if you're allowed to go to the park, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you're allowed to go outside, just go outside. Awesome. Just, well, just get some fresh air. Thank you so much for joining me for this hour-long podcast almost it's actually it's just clocked over the hour uh it's been great to talk to you i think um people will definitely take a lot out of what you've been doing and also find it quite inspirational kind of the the level that you got to at at your age yeah well thanks for having me really find it fun to do and i hope that also for some followers of you they can understand sort of a better thing than what i do and to where i started uh, and also for my own followers, I think this is an easy way for me to express my feelings about uh, certain situations, about coronavirus, but also about business and about, about mindset and how I think things should run. So really, thanks for having me. Great. Thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. See you yeah. later.